Good morning, noon, and night. How are you guys doing? It is me, Ryan Wiggins, the host of the day, the producer of the Building Gray Sales Teams podcast. Welcome back. So we've had so many awesome guests so far on the Building Great Sales Teams podcast that I wanted to come back and give you another best of episode. So this one is going to focus mainly on the month of August. We had so many great guests, so many great episodes, a lot of good solo episodes, and I wanted to highlight about five of them. Great experiences build great leaders. Great leaders build great teams. This is Building Great Sales Teams. Uh, The first guest that I wanted to highlight on this episode of Building Great Sales Teams, the recap, we're going to have Brody Fawcett. Now, Brody and his wife... Um, had a tragic event happen in their life, and they decided to do something new. One of those things was this humongous, magnificent race, and Brody took us through that. So let's take a look. So you, you came to our Real Business Owner Mastermind and spoke to us there. And you know, right away when you started speaking, I was like, I got to get uh, Brody on the, uh, the podcast. He'd be amazing for our listeners. And by the end of the conversation, actually, uh, Trevor Cowley had to bring it up. He had to bring up that you had done this crazy ass thing. And I was just like, why would he not lead off with that? You know what I mean? This amazing <laughs> thing that you and your wife did. And so I wanted to talk about that a little bit, kind of pivot here to the personal side. And I don't remember the amount of miles. And I looked at my notes from your conversation I, and I hadn't written down the specific amount, but it was like a seven day run. Is that right? Or a yeah, 140, six days. 100 and how many miles? 172 miles 172 miles so Brody and his wife ran 172 miles and all you did was camp and sleep in between right yeah man yeah so crazy like experience it it was unreal like for sure the hardest thing I've I've done to this date um but yeah my it was my wife's idea wild enough and and anyhow she she had a miscarriage we had a miscarriage and she was like trying wanted to do something to kind of get her mind off of everything that was going on with that and so um i was in we're in we live in utah we're from utah but uh we were in texas at the time i think that's where you're at right yes. Texas. yeah we were in uh what where were we babe in temple texas if you guys know where temple texas yeah is, i know but, where temple's at um uh, so <laughs> really so nice i was doing this there Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Good, good old Bucky's. Um, but, uh, so I was out knocking and she calls me and is like, Hey, I, uh, I found this magazine, which I'm like, who reads magazines in the first place? I didn't think they, they existed still, but it's like, I saw in the magazine, there's this race and this is what it is. And like, you have to apply for it and it's really hard to get in. You have to have done, you know, different ultra marathons and we'd both ran marathons, but we hadn't, you know, done anything like crazy, crazy, and always kind of like to run and just like pushing ourselves. But um, that turned into like, hey, I just went ahead and, and applied both of us, like I filled an application for it. And uh, she's like, you cool with that? And I'm like, yeah, like thinking that we're not going to get in, you know, I wasn't too worried about it. And uh, long story short, like we ended up getting accepted into this race. And we we're the only one, one of the only ones, actually, I, I don't know if anybody else had not ran 
in like a long distance ultra marathon that they ran the race. There was a, uh, I think 130 or 140 racers, but, uh, but yeah, man. And so this was how much time do we have the, my wife's right here. So I'm how much time do we <laughs> have good. to train? So we had six, this was crazy. So we had 16 weeks before this race. Okay. And we're in Texas and the race actually took, takes place in Utah. And, uh, anyhow, with that, it like, there's not a lot of like hills in Texas to go train nope. and all this stuff. Right. And you guys that are in the sales world, like, you know, how much, how demanding it is like running and running an office and then training. And the biggest thing for this race is you needed time on your feet. And so, mm -hmm. um, literally like it was, I, I remember one of our, our, uh, one of the VPs at Vivint came out to visit and he was like, dude, how are you doing? You look like you, you look like you're a ghost, man. And it was like, our, our schedule was waking up sometimes, you know, five, five in the morning and going and putting in like four hours of training, um, getting, you know, like, I, I don't know how many miles we're at on our, on our weeks, but lots of days where we over 20 miles, you know, I'd go run that morning just to train. And then I'm, I'm at, our sales meeting and then on the doors and grinding all day and finishing home late night and doing the same thing the next day. Right. And so it was, it was a lot, but it was fun training for it. Um, but anyhow, the, the race itself, it's a stage race. So, um, it's one of the top three hardest foot races in the world. Like if you Google it, it'll come up. And, uh, we had no idea what we were getting ourselves into, like, like no idea. Right. And, uh, <laughs> So basically it's self-supported. So everything you need for, for the six days, you have to carry it on your, on your back. You have to carry it with you. Water oh, wow. was the only thing that they provided. And then they, they set up these tents, um, at like the, the camps, but they were, there's no floor to them. So like sometimes you're sleeping on thorns and bushes, but, but everything you needed. So basically our, our packs were, I think mine was, um, a little over 17 pounds and that is food for the for the entire week and nutrition and blister care. And so um, we literally take the dehydrated meals and then crush them up. They're already like small, crush them up and then put them in a bag. So it was pretty much like eating mush. Um, but, uh, but yeah, man, that's, that's kind of like, I guess, a background on the race <laughs> and what it was. And uh, it just divided out over those, over those six days. So I think the, the first day was um, like 27, 28 miles. The next day was 27, 28 miles. The next day was 50 something miles. Um, and yeah, so just broken up that way. And that is, that is crazy. I'm, I'm training right now for a marathon and that's okay. like grueling to me, you know what I mean? And your one <laughs> right. day of training was a marathon, you know what I'm saying? Right. <laughs> that's just crazy. And it, that goes to show there's always someone doing it better. You know what I mean? There's always someone out there that can do it better. Right. But well, dude, uh, I think not, not even doing it better, but just like, it's amazing when you kind of put yourself in a situation where it's like, we signed up for the race. And so like, I hadn't done anything above a marathon, you know? And so okay. by default, you just start training and all of a sudden, what was a big deal in the past, which was a marathon, you know, just like, that's mm -hmm. a big deal for you right now. Like that, it wasn't an option for that to be a big deal anymore. Cause I had to do that as a training run just to, to even get ready or even get close to getting ready, you know? And so just putting yourself in a spot where like, I was just like you, but then all of a sudden I had no choice, but to commit to this race. So it just changed everything. Yeah. I mean, your wife said you had to, so you had no choice, right? Uh, if you know my <laughs> wife, there's, there's no, no choice means no choice. <laughs> 
<laughs> I do want to want to point out one thing you said about the race is y'all would get in these tents and you would have these thoughts in your mind about things that hurt or things that were bothering you or parts of your body that just weren't working right. And you noticed, and I'll, I'll let you tell the story. So can you, can you kind of walk us through that? Yeah, yeah, man, absolutely. Um, so my wife and I, this was towards the end of the, the race. And this was like one of the best things for our marriage, by the way, because we are training for this so many hours a day and you know, you don't have your phone out, you know, you're, you're by yourselves and you're talking. And so just us having conversation, it was like our date morning every morning. And when you're on this runner's high and so, so good for us, but, um, towards the, towards the end of the race, we're like, Hey, what, let's talk about some of the takeaways from this race. And what you said was one of those things. We came up with five things. Um, we wanted to like take back and really like apply to our lives, but that was one of them, um, was, was, uh, well, a couple of things, but basically making the decision to finish. And that was something going into it for us. Like we had mentally made this decision, like we are going to finish this race, no matter what, like we're going to finish, right? It's either that or, or you die. Maybe that sounds super harsh, but that's the level of commitment. It was like, Hey, we don't say we're going to do something and start doing something and then not finish, which might sound not that crazy. Like, yeah, you started it, you trained for it, you're going to finish. Well, 30, 30 plus percent of the people did not finish this race and keep in mind, they'd all ran long races. Right. And so, um, inside of our tent, there's eight people per tent. And it was really interesting because everybody there had way more experience running than us. Um, there was, there was one person in there who this was his second time doing the race. Um, he was really prepared, trained for it last year. He, he DNF'd, didn't, did not finish kind of what that means. And so he had to drop out of the race and, uh, what was happening is they were beating us back, right? Cause there's a time cut off, but they were beating us back every single day and it just all around like doing great. And then we started to notice the conversations shifted, right. And they started to give their, their pain a voice. And that's another thing we just talked about. Like, as soon as you get to that point where you start allowing your pain or the way you're feeling to, to have a voice and you give yourself almost a way out, everything starts to go downhill. And so it went from like, yeah, my knee and uh, yeah. And this year I really wanted to finish, but I just don't think I'm going to be able to do it. And yeah. And because of this, like everybody, everybody thinks they have the best excuse for themselves on why they can't do something. Right. We all think we're this special snowflake when in reality it's like, actually it's not that different for you. And it's just as hard for somebody else. Right. But uh, long story short, half the people in our tent didn't finish. And it was crazy because they were better athletes. They were getting back before us, all of these things, but they didn't finish simply because of their mind. Right. And that was one of our things is like all of your power comes from your mind. Like it's not the strong athletes that were the ones finishing. It was the ones that were mentally, mentally tough and mentally strong. Uh, but yeah, that was, that was one of the the huge takeaways. And that, that was probably one of the, the biggest things I remembered from your talk. And again, it wasn't even intentional. It just came up in conversation because of course, Trevor was talking crap. And so, <laughs> <laughs> and so that was one of my, probably my favorite things that you said. And it, what I like about it is it's applicable to everything because you can, you can apply it to the alarm clock in the mornings. As soon as you give yourself an excuse or give yourself, mm -hmm. well, I could move this to the afternoon. And I, you know, as soon as you start doing that, then you're already, you've already lost, you're already going down the rabbit hole and it's hard to come back up from that. Yeah, you know, yes. so that, that mental game is, is huge. Not just in 
physical acts like you did, but in the acts of life, like building a business yeah. or raising a family, you know? Dude, hundred percent. I was talking to somebody um, yesterday, actually at the gym and he's training for this, this bodybuilding show. And I don't know a ton about that stuff, but basically the last few days are like extremely tough. Cause you have to still, he's at like two hours of cardio a day. He still has to get his workouts in all these things. Right. And then he's like, I'm pretty much only eating chicken. And so he just looked, looked dead. And we just started talking about the process of all of that and, and being mentally tough for it. But uh, he said something that kind of stood out. I thought it was interesting. Um, he was just saying that, like, I tell people all the time, if they're not, if they're, if they're going to commit to this and they're going to, they're going to cheat at all, then I tell them, don't even do it. Cause it's not even worth it. Like, if you're going to do this, then you have to commit and like cheating can't even be an option. And, and, uh, my wife does, she has a fitness app and she coaches nutrition and stuff like that. And so this month I've been counting my macros and keeping track of them. It's just a way to, I don't know, eat better basically. Right. But, right. um, it's, I've, I've been like in this different mindset because I've had to watch what I eat a little bit differently. And I'm like, yes, it's so true. It's so easy to be like, I'm just going to have this one donut or like, I can go over my macros a little bit today. It, and you start to justify it. Like yesterday I went under, so that makes sense today. And so I loved what he said. It's like, dude, if you, I tell people all the time, if you're going to cheat a little bit, then don't even do it. Don't even start. Right. Like if you're going to start, then make sure you have that commitment to say like, no, I'm going to see this thing through and it's all or nothing type attitude. Absolutely. And once you start accomplishing things like that, it does, like you said, you go from a marathon to a 172 mile race. So that's awesome, brother. Now that's something that I cannot promise you that I would be willing to do, but he completed it. He and his wife together completed that and they gained so much from that experience that they were later able to bring to their businesses as well as their personal lives. Uh, the next person that I wanna highlight in the month of August, we had a double dip with Drewby Wilson and he talked about shaking up the monotony with memes. Let's take a listen. One of the things that or I guess separates you from the pack when you talk about salespeople in general or sales processes is your memes course. So I wanted to walk through that a little bit. I know we touched on it slightly in the last episode, but I really wanted to do a deep dive on what that's done for you and where that came from. And then also what you're doing next with it, because I know you're writing a book on it too, right? Yeah. So I am writing the book on memes as a matter of fact. Uh, I am the meme lord. Once again, I tattooed it across my fingers because I'm just that ridiculous um, and committed to being unemployable. So, and you know, I guess I could probably go work at Chipotle. Those dudes are pretty gnarly. Yeah. Anyways, um, memes, right? Where did the memes come from? Why am I the meme lord? What is closer memes? I've been in sales a long time. Um, if you've been in sales, you've probably, that's probably why you listen to this podcast, but you've been ghosted before. So if for some reason you're not, and you don't know what that means, it's when you've had a great conversation with somebody, they said they're very interested in moving forward and then they disappear, right? It's almost like they're dead and gone, ghosted. And that's, you know, it's kind of morbid, but it is what it is. And so I was having a moment where I had a lot of prospects in the pipeline, right? I'm, I'm thinking I'm working good. I got all these deals that I think are hot, but people aren't responding. So I'm getting a little frustrated, kind of like, you know, if you've been in sales, you're in a slump, you know, that you have those days. So I started thinking outside the box of what is it about me that I like and what, like, what can I do to get these people's attention? 
I personally always loved memes. I'm in multiple friend group chats where we send the most ridiculous, rowdiest memes uh, that we can find. I'm sure if you're like a, de a degenerate like me, you have that same group of friends. That's why Doug's laughing because he knows exactly what I'm talking about. Um, but with that being said, I said, you know what? Send it. And I went and I found this meme. And it was basically Jim Carrey from the Ace Ventura movie. There's a scene where he's looking in like the dolphin tank. And there was a little quote across the bottom that said, you there, question mark. And I sent that meme to, I don't know, 15 or 20 people that had ghosted me over the last month. Within 15 minutes, I had multiple replies and people had signed up and moved forward on the program that I had offered them, but they hadn't responded to me in several weeks. So all of a sudden, these people who I've sent multiple messages, checking in, following up, just wanted to see if there was any questions, right? All your typical canned bullshit responses. I send out one meme, five figures in revenue, multiple sales, and multiple responses from people that said, hey, so sorry, got busy, decided not to move forward, X, Y, Z, objection, excuse, whatever. But think about it. You have 20 people who said they wanted to, to buy from you that just stop answering. And then within 15 minutes, 10 of them respond, three of them buy, and the other five or 10, you know, over the next couple of days end up responding. And so what happens is a response rate of like 70%, which is actually like, it's crazy. And I went, now, hold on a sec. There's no way that like, <laughs> I don't know, that was pretty sweet, but like, can we do it again? Because that's what really a systems is all about, right? Can it be repeated? So I reached out to a couple of the homies, said, hey, I don't know you're crazy enough like me to send this shit to a sales prospect. I know it sounds crazy, but like, just give it a try. A couple guys send out the memes. I get a call like a week or two later. So one of my real estate friends, he says, hey, man, that meme you sent me, I just got a listing for a million dollar home in my area. And I, if you're in real estate, you know, or not in real estate, commissions on a listing are probably somewhere between one and three percent. So I'll let you do the math on a million dollar home. It's not bad change, right? And so I'm thinking like, holy mackerel, they're like, this guy's going to make good money off of a meme that he sent. That's crazy. How do I do this a bunch of times? And how do I teach other people to do it? Yeah. And that's when I created the Closer Memes course. And that's basically, you know, for $47, I break down the exact strategies that I've used and implemented to generate more than $10 million in sales in the last three years at an average ticket price of $5,000, right? So I, and I say that because some people's like, well, a million dollars isn't that much. No, $10 million isn't that much. Like if you did 10 homes at a million dollars, like, okay, 10 sales, great. No, I've done more than $10 million at an average ticket price of $5,000. So do some math. I've done a lot of transactions. Almost all of them, I've used a meme in some form or fashion. And so what I did is said, okay, what is it that I do? What psychology? Why does this work? What is like, what's the secret behind the sauce, right? That's what people are always trying to figure out. Like, hey, what's the secret sales pitch? What's the best uh, talk pattern? How do I get the right closing line, right? There's all like, they're always looking for the secret. So my thought was, all right, well, what works and why? Well, the psychology of memes is, A, it's a pattern interrupt. Because the majority of salespeople follow up the same way. Just checking in. Wanted to follow up with you. Are you ready to move forward? Do you have any questions? 
Did you get the invoice? Did you look over the contract? Like there's all these canned responses. And so because we're human and people are trying to sell us shit all day long, we learn to ignore those like those messages. But when I send you a picture and you open it up and like, you have to think about it. You're like, well, this is different. First of all, that's a pattern interrupt, right? So now it's all, it's your thinking and I've got your attention. And then it's a picture that you recognize, but it's different, right? Because what is a meme? A meme is a picture with some overlay of text that changes the entire context of the image. Like that's the sciency part of meme is a transfer of information. Like if you like, we can talk about that in a second, but like the transfer of information. So I'm sending you a picture that you recognize, but I'm adding an overlay of text that changes the whole concept. So now I've got your attention and I'm making you think, right? So psychologically, what am I doing? I'm, I'm building a connection with you. So you see this picture that pops up and it's, you know, a guy poking his head out from behind the bleachers with you good question mark on the bottom. Now you're thinking, well, first of all, this guy's different. Who's what sales guy sends a meme? That's weird. I like that. I like memes. That's funny. Two, like now he's showing like human connection because people don't buy from corporations and logos. They buy from people. They buy from people they know, like, and trust. And to me, I'm trying to create that level of trust by showing, hey, I'm a human. I'm going to send this meme because they're funny to me and I think they're funny to you. And if they're not funny to you, then it's probably okay because we're not going to do business together. But if it is funny to you, and the thing that we've talked about is something you're actually interested in, then getting your attention may just be the thing that I needed to do because people get busy. We all have lives to live. So now I've got your attention. I've created an emotional connection. Hopefully it's lighthearted and fun, right? That's kind of the goal of the memes I'm sending. And all I need to do is get a response. Whether the response is, hey, I'm ready to move forward. Hey, not now, but next Friday. Or kiss off, Druby, I'm not interested. I've gotten what I needed from that conversation now. And I can continue in the stage of the buying process that I'm working on. Right. So that's where the memes really to me was like, holy smokes. Not only can it get people's attention and do like, you know, close out the sale. Then I start zooming out and look big picture. Well, how can I use it in my marketing? How can I use it in my branding? How can I be like that guy who gets known for memes? So I went on and made a commitment. I'm going to make one new meme a day for our software program. Nice. 90 days later, I've got $2,000 a month in recurring passive revenue from software sales from making memes that still pays me to this day, 18 months later. Again, do some math on that. Making memes, passive income, silly. Mm -hmm. And so that's why I'm like, I I still, it's funny. I almost feel like I'm still ahead of my time, even though everybody loves memes because to, to give you some fun facts about this, and this is what we're here to be exciting, right? And share knowledge. Yeah. Yeah. Memes actually comes from biology. It was uh, coined by a gentleman named Richard Dawkins back in the late 70s, early 80s, mm-hmm. in a book called The Selfish Gene, where he talks about biology and Darwinism. Because memes is really the transfer of information. So like when one animal sees another animal take a rock and smash open a coconut, and then takes that and get you know teaches the next animal after it. it's like 
hey, I saw that fucking monkey crack that thing with a, a rock. Let me try that. And then we can all eat more coconuts, right? Like transfer of information. That was originally what a meme was. Fast forward 40 years, when you think the transfer of information, that's like viral, right? When things go viral, it quickly, that inf information is spreading around. That's really what most memes are, is like a viral spread of information. Baby Yoda, holy shit, it's like the most exciting thing on the planet. Baby Yoda memes everywhere. Well, back in the day, we had baby uh, Beanie Babies. Beanie Babies were like the hottest thing on the planet. Everywhere you looked, it was Beanie Babies, right? That was a meme trend. So memes, it's, it's really just a transfer of information. And so my goal in using it in today's you know, thing, this is why I'm writing the book on it. I want people to understand that they are effective because this has been going on since the dawn of time. We've been using memes in the transfer of information forever. It's how we learn to leverage those social trends and the things that get the attention of our ideal clients that will make us extremely successful using memes in our business. It makes a lot of sense. You know, I think too many times in uh, our sales careers or sales processes or sales companies, right? We put the prospect on a pedestal. We say, oh, they're not like us. You know, so we have to act a certain way. We have to be a certain way around them. And what you've done and proven with this memes course and the meme strategy is that people are people. You know what I'm saying? There's, there's a reason that I can talk about in Texas, I can talk about the Longhorns and all of a sudden I've got a connection with somebody. Doesn't yep. matter if they make a million dollars a year or they make 10. You know what I mean? Everybody has that genuine connection. So that meme itself, like you said, is taking something that we're all familiar with, like Ace Ventura, our age at least, right? Ace Ventura and um, making that connection. And all of a sudden it inspires emotion, right? And so a lot of what I talk about is striking or selling prospects at the height of emotion. So if you're starting with emotion with a meme and it's in the follow-up process, you're connecting with that, that, that you're making them emotional and people buy when they're what at the height when of emotion. emotion. Assume. Yeah. They buy with their emotion. So you're just kind of opening that emotion back up for them. And uh, it's just, it's genius. It really is. I love it, brother. Um, Thank you. And it, and it is, it's just another form of building rapport, you know, that transfer of information. It's like walking in somebody's office back in the eighties with the beanie baby automatic rapport. You know what I mean? Except now you're digitally walking into the conversation with a meme of Ace Ventura or a meme of the, what, what's that show that the guy's from that gets out from behind Lee, the Matthew Lee. Morrison. I, I just looked it up the other day because I'm, I'm writing my book. As I said, it should mm -hmm. be out here. Uh, hopefully by Q4 is my goal. If I stop slacking on it. Mm -hmm. um, but I'm considering having either him write the forward because I've literally used his meme to generate eight figures in revenue. I just yeah. think that's silly. Uh, or I'm going to reach out to Richard Dawkins and see if he'll write the forward because he's the guy that came up with the term meme. So if I can get him, uh, that'd be, that'd be pretty rad. <laughs> yeah, that would. Now I've had the pleasure of meeting Drewby on several occasions and he is just one cool guy. Um, He's literally writing the book on memes. He is the meme lord. And he showed how your uniqueness 
can be brought into whatever you're doing. In this particular case, it sells. He he brought his uniqueness, his love for memes, and he created it, or he used it rather, to create this kind of conglomerate of just excellent skills. And these are a bunch of big words that don't mean anything, but point of the matter is this, make sure you bring your uniqueness into your tasks because nobody can do it like you can do it. Now, the next person that I want to highlight on the Building Great Sales Team's podcast recap is Jacob Stoller. Now, Jacob Stoller had two amazing episodes this month that we got to share with you guys. Um, it was a great, long conversation. We broke it up so you guys can uh, pay attention to it. The part that I want to focus on is these stories that he had with his staff and how uh, that loyalty that he's built with his staff has sustained throughout his whole entire company. Let's take a listen. I've reached a point with like my medical staff. We have our core like 12 people. Mm -hmm. And um, I've gotten to a point where I fire people real quick now if I don't think they're a fit. Because um, I'm not trying to rock the boat with the people that we have. And I know right. that they'll handle their shit. If yeah. they have to work by themselves, I pay them a little bit more. Yeah. Um, but like I have that core, I just paid to, uh, somebody to move to San Antonio to open up, um, like that portion of it. Mm -hmm. Uh, and I'm totally cool with her being four hours away. Like I, I'm not worried about it. Um, the mistakes that she makes, she won't even, she won't even apologize. Cause I don't care about apologies. That why it happened doesn't fucking matter. Mm -hmm. You know, if you come at me with like, Oh, uh, this is what I'll do next time. Like, yeah. I don't care about the apology. I don't care about the why. About the I don't care about the story. Yeah. Like, let's, how do we not do this again? Yeah. Um, and so, and she's programmed to do that now. She was the first person I ever hired. Mm -hmm. um, the first four people I ever hired are still here. Um, and we're going on year five, I think. Yeah. So um, they, they've seen it when, when it was at its worst and our systems were terrible and our software was bad and, um, you know, and they stuck with me through it just because I treated them like people. Um, but yeah, if and you, that, and that's what you if do, you don't, like you, you're not reciprocal, fuck. Yeah. Right? And that's how I feel sometimes because, you know, from like two years ago, we've been pouring into everybody core values. Yep. We've been developing them. We've been spending money. You know, I've even had like, I hired uh, Jennifer Carrasco to, to, to coach yeah. one of my operations people. You know what I mean? Because she had a lot yeah. more going on than the job, right? And uh, it, it, it does. You get frustrated. And, and if you're good with it, we'll include this stuff in the podcast because it's all yeah, good stuff. Cool. Yeah. Um, you know, you, you get frustrated because when, when it really matters, sometimes it's not reciprocated. You know, like when, it, when it's time to like say, hey, Doug's been pouring into me for a year now. You know what I mean? Since I got hired or whatever, investing in me, putting responsibility on me, giving me raises, all that good stuff. Uh, actually following through with the core values, you know, giving a shit, treating me like a person, and then I fuck up, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And it's like, can you just own it and can we move on? Even if it was partly I mean, my it, fault, like you said, it was some of it was your yeah. fault, right? But yeah. even if it was partly my fault, it's like, damn, all I do is own this shit all day and try to figure out how to do better, you know what I mean? I, I would like someone else to say, hey, that was me, I'm going to fix that shit. You know. If you were to ever go back on anything I ever said, anything I've ever put in text, mm -hmm. like I run most of my companies through a, an app that Facebook makes called Workplace. Um, yeah. So I don't even have meetings. I record what I need to say and I put it in the company's like social deal. 
everybody watches it while they're driving, like whatever. And if they have questions, everybody chimes in at different times and we can still spitball on a, on a video I recorded a month ago today. Um, but like, if you look at any of that stuff, if there's ever a problem, I'm the first person to be like, I'm, I missed. Yeah. Like I, I made a projection. I thought it was going to go this way and it didn't. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's on me. Uh, here's what I'm doing or the steps that I'm taking to make sure that we don't go through that again. Yeah. Uh, and I apologize, you know, for everybody that it affected. Um, and everybody thinks like, because you're at the top of the food chain, it's easier to own a mistake. It's not any different. It's just no, kind of it sucks. <laughs> yeah. Like, but like, oh, but you're at the top. So if you fuck up, we can't fire you. Yes, you can. You can quit. Yeah. Like, what do you mean? You That's can't your fire version me? of firing me. Yeah. yeah. Like if you're, if you're done with me, then you're done with or, me. I or, can't do nothing about that. Or worse, you'll stay on and do a bad job. Yeah. And not care until you can find whatever you're going to move on to. Yeah. That's the like, worst. So if I'm not, if I'm not being accountable to you guys, that's the biggest problem. Cause I'm showing that you don't have to be accountable at the highest level. Um, and I tell people all the time, I'm like, I need you guys to be independent of me. I don't want you to sit there and wait for the next like task. I don't want you to freeze anytime that a decision has to be made. Yeah. I need you to feel empowered to make decisions and make mistakes. Mm -hmm. Because if, if you don't feel empowered to do that, one, I'll never have an opportunity to coach you because you're not going to make a mistake. Yeah. But two, you're never going to be able to advance here because I can't see whether or not you make good decisions. Right. Um, and it's if you're a person that makes a ton of bad decisions, but you take the coaching, like that's a, a massive growth signal for me. Yeah. We talk about things one time and it never happens again. Like you got a future, kid. Like but I, that's all I want to see. Mm -hmm. Um, but I, I think that most people have worked in, especially if they come from a corporate, right? You make a mistake and you get chastised. Your manager comes over and puts you in a box right. and tells you you're a piece of shit. So like no one wants to make a mistake because they don't want to go through that. Right. Um, but that's the reason why those places turn people over so quickly. And, um, and we almost get excited about mistakes because it's a growth piece. We know yeah. because of that mistake, we're going to do so much better in the future. We got to yeah. deal with the the bullshit of the result until then. But we know that long-term that mistake was made out. And I love it when mistakes are made early in a process yep. or early in a campaign or a product or anything, yep. because now I know, okay, we got that out of the way and now we can, now we can really grow. Well, and people always do the, like, what's your goal, right? Mm -hmm. My goal is literally to go to bed better than I woke up. And like the route to learning something is to fucking be wrong. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so, like, <laughs> I mean, so if my goal is literally to be better than I woke up when I go to sleep, I have to screw up or I have to not know something Absolutely. because that's the only way that I can do that. So like <laughs> the best result for me on a day-to-day -day basis is to screw up. Um, and so like, that's literally my mantra. I almost seek it out um, in situations where I'm sure of something, I'll engage somebody with a different counterpoint. Cause I'm trying to see if I'm still right. Mm -hmm. Um, cause they may have information I don't have. Um, and so people are like, Oh, you're combative. I'm like, I'm not combative. I'm challenging your point of view. Cause it's not mine. Right. And if I need to have yours, I need to find out what's yeah. wrong with mine and I need yeah. to do it real quick. Um, and that's where you don't get anywhere with, with ego and pride when it comes to that. Um, and I feel like a lot of people, especially that have an employee mindset, mm -hmm. um, they view being wrong as like the ultimate failure. Um, and it's, it's hard to, it almost takes six or eight months to get people to feel like it's okay. Yeah. Um, 
I still have, I have a staff member that works for me. She got to be going on two, maybe two and a half years. Mm -hmm. She does one of the hardest routes um, with some of the most demanding travel. And um, she treated it just like a job originally. Yeah. Um, So like she would clock in, she would do her work and she was good at it. But like, she didn't care about the brand. She didn't care about representing the brand. She didn't care how she looked. Which of your brands Um, is this? Uh, the medical, the medical side. Okay. Um, my hair salon, all of the people there, I, I almost, I want individuality there. Right. Um, you know, when you walk owners. into like, you know, when you like walk into a hair salon and it feels like whitewashed, like everybody's wearing black and white, the walls are stark white. And like, you know, it's going to be 400 bucks for haircut. Yeah. Like, and it doesn't, it doesn't matter if they're good or not. You're paying for the ambiance. Um, at my salon, we have people that charge 400 bucks for a haircut. I have apprentices that are 30 bucks. Um, and like, so, you know, I've got people that can do braids. I got people that can do, like, we, we do everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I want you to, I want you to feel comfortable being you cause you're the product. Yeah. Um, and at most hair salons, they're like, Oh, well, we need to, you need to respect the brand and the, and the salons, blah, blah. My salon's not, we don't have a brand. Like exactly. whoever the chairs they come and sit down at is why they're there. It doesn't matter what brand I create for a hair salon. No one comes for the brand. They aren't cutting their hair. <laughs> like it's, <laughs> it's not, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but on the medical side, I mean, you know, people, they want to come in and they want someone that looks, you know, clean cut and manicured. Um, but thing is like, if you want to pur- purple in your hair, I don't care. If you want to have long nails, not a big deal to me. Right. Um, it's more about, like whatever your whatever person you want to be just like being that like mm-hmm. versus being la- lazy yeah like put some effort into it um and that's really all i asked for um and she's slowly started coming around and she's very eager to learn she's very and like and it's because she's come around to understand that if i say that something will happen it does right um you know she's gotten raises she's become in charge of of a route she's like all of that stuff has happened mm-hmm. um and that's how you get your buy-in. But some people never buy in. Um, and at, at some point, you have to cut your losses and determine what they, I, I call it cost of replacement, right? Yeah. If you're somebody that just shows up and do your, I can hire a new one of those. Right. It takes nothing. Um, if you're somebody that's really ingrained in the fabric of the brand, I can't replace that. Like, I, I can't do it. If you have a bunch of ancillaries, um, that's what makes you more valuable. That's how you get paid more. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you're not somebody like, I think I was talking to Stacy about this when we recorded a podcast. Yeah. Do you have any employees that you go to and you're like, Hey, I need you to do this. And the first thing they say is like, am I getting paid extra for it? Or, uh, Whoa. you know what I'm saying? Have <laughs> I you ever had I anybody say that to you? I mean, like a long time ago, but I weed yeah. them out early on now. You know? But that's what I'm saying. Like yeah. I, I'm, if someone does that to me, like you'll never get anything from me ever. Right. It, I'm coming to you because I need a favor. Like, mm-hmm. forget the task, forget your role at the company your title. I'm coming to you out of everybody else. And I'm asking you for help. Cause I think you're the best, best person to help me. Yeah. Um, it's not about like, what can you get? This is, this is showing me who you are and who you want to be. Um, and that's how you get promoted. That's how you make more money or whatever. Um, and I don't know where this became a thing. Like in society now, I've run across it last couple of businesses I built. Like, hey, you know, we're going to trial something. We would like for you to be the person who does it. Like, mm-hmm. is is there any additional pay? What? 
I'm not asking you to work more hours. Yeah. We're putting you in a test program. If right. it blows up, you're the first person in it. You're the first person that will get, get to lead the charge. Yeah. Yeah. Like, look at this. It's like, this could be <laughs> your department. Not like, what do I get right now? Um, and, and I understand it because, again, if you come from a corporate background where you're not used to getting anything and they run you 60 hours a week ragged, no thank yous, no nothing. Right. I, I get it. Like, I would ask that too. But the question is, like, what have I, what have I done that's shown you that that's me? Mm-hmm. And that's where I have a problem with that question. Like, is that, is that who they think I am? Or is this like runover from wherever they were before? Yeah, that's a, that's a tough conversation to have. And it's hard to find out, you know, cause I've had mainly operational people, the, the, the sales side, it's easy to see it's coming from another company because it's yeah. in their practices. It's in their speech, how they're pitching yep. and stuff like that. But on the operation side, there's just so much, you know, we talk about how much our parents mess us up or whatever, <laughs> you okay. know what I mean? But man, the, the previous jobs, your job history is a, is a whole nother animal that can influence you if you're not the type of person that can overcome a lot of it, you know? Yep. Now, the great part about having a great staff around you that are willing to kind of, I don't want to say jump head first, but they're willing to go to battle with you is that you can trust them to get the things done and you can trust them to help you build. And as they help you build, you help them build, you guys build this great empire together. And it's just, it's just an awesome feeling to have. But when you are looking for that, it's important to correctly build your teams. And we had a segment with Jerry Gherkin that kind of touched on that exact notion. Let's take a listen. Yeah. So when, when you're, uh, if you have a prospect, let's just use that as an example, you, you want to build that, what, no like, and trust, right? Mm-hmm. So how do you do that? By fact finding and finding out information by building rapport through conversation. And then once you know that information, then you can utilize that information through the dialogue that you have with them. That's going to make them feel like not just that they like me, but they are like me. Okay. They are like me. Mm-hmm. or I am like them. There's a little shift there. Yeah. Okay. So by, by doing that, then, then they feel like they really know, like, and trust you because you feel, they feel like they're like you. Mm-hmm. So by doing this exercise and, and having this information, and here's the, here's the, the struggle. Once you get this information, this content from your team members, you have to revisit it. Right. You can't put it in a binder and put it in the drawer. You need to revisit it. Because that's how you're going to create the striations in the relationship and the strength in the team. Absolutely. No, you that... can gather all this information, stick it in the drawer, and it's not going to do any good. Don't even use it. It's a waste of time. But so, if you use it, you're going to create a solid team. So do you have a, a cadence for when you kind of incorporate this into your sales trainer? You incorporate it into you know, like maybe they get the top salesperson of the month and you want to reward them somehow, you pull this out or is it more something you use in your meetings? How are you, how are you utilizing this? So it's, it's a, it's a prep before the meetings, before meetings. Um, and then I, I mean, I have other managers that'll, that'll do that kind of stuff, but it's more of a, as you continue to revisit the content, it becomes committed to memory. Okay. And then for example, let, let, let's say I got a, somebody put in there, they love the Cleveland Browns. Mm-hmm. 
and I got a, a advertising company that comes in and they got Browns tickets. Nice. Oh yeah, that's right. Johnny likes the Browns. So they gave me two Browns tickets. So as just a, something like you talked about giftology, mm-hmm. you know, giftology, here you go. And there's no strings attached. Just, Hey, you know what? Take, take your uh, wife or take somebody to the Browns game. Cause I yeah. know you love the Browns. Do you know how much that's going to set them off? It's back. They're going to be like, Holy smokes. He remembered that I like the Browns, mm-hmm. but you're being intentional about what you're doing. So you need to, you as a manager as needs to revisit this information, this content fairly regularly. Um, but when, when to utilize it, that's your discretion. I don't really have any kind of a set protocol that this right. is when it's going to use. It just becomes part of, of who I am with my team so that I know what they are or I know what motivates them because mm-hmm. I can't motivate people. I can inspire you. I can coach you. I can teach you. I can educate you, but you got to motivate yourself. I love that. We're definitely going to use that in one of our TikToks or reels because <laughs> that's, that's, that's very, very true. You know, too, too many times uh, salespeople watch, watch a video or something like that and it wears off faster than the video is long. You know what I mean? Because it's just, it's so temporary. You've got to motivate yourself. A hundred percent. So you go through that player profile and that's where you get the information, right? And then, so you've got their dream, you've got the information about them. And then the next piece of it is centers of influence. And I'm just going to read off a few of the things on this right here. What are three individuals to date that have made the greatest positive impact on your life? Which I this is probably the difference maker for me is this last one, right? Because now not only are you finding out what they want, who they are, but you're, you're finding out how they are influenced, you know, and who their heroes are, right? And so, you know, for me, I've, I've had a pretty big organization before, you know, and so this could kind of tell me where to put them in the organization depending on the type of leader that is at the helm. And so this is just a, a really cool piece. And some of the examples are father, mother, coach, teacher, brother, sister, spouse, friend, etc. Be sure to include names. And then under that and under each box, you have what are five key char- characteristics you m- admire most in each individual listed above. So what, what I love about this, too, is, you know, you're finding out why they they those people influence them but i have to believe they fill this out and then they're like in a emotional state after they fill it out because like if you put your father down there or something like that you put your mother or you put your brother you're making a phone call after you're done with your onboarding to them you know what i'm saying you're you're reflecting you're forced to reflect on why Mm -hmm. and and that's where the emotion comes in Mm -hmm. if you truly if you truly do the do yeah. the work. And so we get we, we get so stuck in reactive state of mind, taking what life gives us and everything. We don't take the time to stop and appreciate these amazing people in our life. You know what I mean? So you've just in onboarding, you've done something for them that they may not even realize that's incredibly self subconscious that they this may create a habit to where they start having this gratitude on a weekly basis or a monthly basis, you know, because gratitude is a huge piece. In that, and that's what this worksheet does. It it creates gratitude 15 times when you describe the characteristics of these people that influence you, you know, as long as you're doing it genuinely. Like you said, you're doing the work. 
because okay. all of us could put some celebrities on there and BS words and stuff and put what you think that, that they what they think you want to hear, you know. But you, so how do you I guess when you're reflecting on this or you're revisiting it like you said what is the the purpose of the sheet? And I've alluded to a lot of that, right? But also uh and then I guess what is the difference it makes in your management and training style? So it, it speaks a little bit to core values and we know a lot about core okay. values in the organization that we're, we're talking about or that we're involved with <clears throat> in Apex. So once you identify these things and then the characteristics, it speaks to their core values and then you find out right away um, if you haven't already, whether or not they're going to align with your core values in your company. And as we know, if, if they're not in alignment, then they're probably not going to make it long in your company. So that, that's the biggest takeaway for this, um, is to find out who they are as a human being based on what their, their uh, answers are mm -hmm. and what their non-negotiables are. And then also it tells you a little bit about them as a human being that, that can help you as a manager, as a leader, um, guide and direct them because you know what kind of maybe buttons to push or which direction to go um, in, the, in the conversations, how much inflection, what you can use. Um, if you can be real direct or if you have to use what I call the sandwich technique, which is really popular now because mm -hmm. nobody likes criticism. So we right. compliment, redirect, compliment. You never don't want to say criticize. Yeah. Um, you know, when I was growing up, my, if my coach got in my face and screamed and told me I couldn't do something, I was going to prove him wrong. Nowadays, kids will just uh, buckle. Yeah. yeah. They'll look, okay. I guess I'm not good at this. So I'm going to go do something else. Yeah. But it definitely helps you identify um, who they are as a human being and what and what makes them tick in a mm -hmm. way and, and uh, the, the values that they see. Um, because when they write those five down, that tells you what they, they look for in mm -hmm. a leader. Awesome. Yeah, and I wasn't expecting that answer. And I love that answer because, you know, I have been trying to find ways to figure out if new salespeople coming on align with our core values, right? And uh, so currently we're using wise hire, we're doing disc profiles, you know, so that kind of gives you some indication, you know, where their values are at, but it's, you know, those, those tests are always tough. You know, I, I, I take them with a grain of salt because not everybody is a hundred percent honest. And I mean, I get it. Like the disc profile really hammers the same question eight different ways. So it'll find out one way or the other where you lean, you know, law of averages kind of thing. Um, but what I like about this is it, it, re it really does engage their positive memories and affirmations. And so I feel like they're going to be more honest with this than with like a disc profile or something like that versus this just seems fun. I get to talk about the people that influence me the most. You know what I'm saying? And you're 100% right. What are the five key characteristics? You're probably going to see you know, at least if you're, yeah, you're probably going to see at least one of them in all five or all 15 box or all, and one of them in all three rows. Right. And so, um, I love this worksheet. When I saw it, I was like, I've got to get Jerry on the podcast and, and let's talk about sales and sales management and all that good stuff, because this is a, a powerful, powerful worksheet. So you're, you're doing things like this with your team, with your leaders, and um, you're investing a lot in them, right? And uh, 
door-to-door and car sales have always been very interesting mediums of sales for me because they're naturally high turnover because of the nature of the work, right? It's something that you just can't get around, right? In terms of, you know, an office job or something like that, door-to-door and car sales are a lot more high turnover. And, And in terms of sales jobs in general, right? And so you're making all these investments in people and you know them, you know what I mean? Sometimes better than they know yourself because you're objective with your your um, evaluation of them and you're using things that they, they gave you, right? And so l- let me ask you, how do you, how do you handle as a, as a leader in the company losing people, you know what I'm saying? And it's like you make all this investment and they leave for like $50 more a car. Or something like that, you know what I mean. And I'm—I I don't know the car industry that well, but I know a little bit, right? Um, but in my case, it was like they would leave for twenty dollars more in commission for a TV sale, you know what I mean? <laughs> and you've poured into them, you know, you've educated them on core values, you've educated them on operating with integrity, you've uh, done the dinners and the gifts, and you know, to ma- made them feel special. How do you handle? it when like a, a, f- a couple of people turn over or you know that that constant turnover how do you handle that so you left them <clears throat> you left them better than they started you know that's the way i look i look at it you know you, you did invest genuinely your time your energy your effort um and your wisdom into making them a better human being mm-hmm. and ultimately that's all i'm after you know if, if they if they see the grass is greener on the other side you know Go check it out. You know what? As long as they didn't burn a bridge, if they want to come back, which most of the time they do, mm-hmm. um, and they realize that it wasn't that beautiful thing, then they come back because because the culture that they're involved in is a great culture. It's something that they look forward to coming into doing this. You know, they look forward to the camaraderie that they have with the other team members. Mm-hmm. So if they if they decide to leave, okay, you know. But one other thing I want to talk about is you hire slow. And okay. you fire fast. Yeah. Hire slow, fire fast. You you were talking about people just deciding to go to somewhere else for more money. And mm-hmm. hey, you know what? More power to you. Next man up. Let's go. Now that makes a lot of sense. Um, and it's a great culture because you've been intentional about that culture. So if our listeners get anything from this show, I want it to be that. Hey you're intentional about building your culture the right way from the get-go because you're investing this time in this player profile. This is not something that takes five minutes to fill out. I mean, it's probably a good 15, 20, 30 minutes, depending on how detailed they are. And so, uh, and then, you know, you're revisiting it, you know, every so often and you're investing so much in it. So great culture takes intention, right? And then, and then, yeah, you're absolutely right. My, my turnover now is the lowest it's ever been because we're hiring so incredibly slow <laughs> and it's it, it's uncomfortable for me over the past six months we've been doing this uh, but the people we have now even at a entry-level sales position they've been with us for two and three months now you know what i'm saying and they've been through the ups and downs but they but they love the culture and the company you know and they don't want to. They they don't want to leave that for anything other than the most amazing opportunity ever, right? And so, um, and I'm all about growth too. You know, mm-hmm. personal growth and development is, is one of my core values. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so if if somebody comes to me and they say, hey, you know what, I got a great opportunity. I'm 
congratulations. I'm, I'm happy for them. Mm -hmm. I'm not, I'm not, I don't have resentment toward them because right. I've invested all this into them. Um, you know, I'm, I'm happy for them because they're bettering themselves uh, in their eyes anyway. And, mm -hmm. and if, if it doesn't work out and, and I'm, again, I'm, I'm still open to open mentoring door. them if they, yeah. If yeah. they, if they go into this other thing and they want to communicate back with me and say, Hey, this is going on. What do you think about that? Mm -hmm. Just give me a call. So one of the things I used to say when I was, when I used to do opportunity meetings was, uh, this may be a, a stepping stone for you and that's okay. You, everybody in here has got a dream, you know, and this may just be one of those steps to that dream. I love being a step in the dream as a company. I love that because you guys come back to me a year later or two years later and talk about how what you learned here fueled that dream. You know what I'm saying? Or you use something, you know, a sales process or overcoming an objection or you, you know, use a system that you learned here to build that dream. You know what I'm saying? Whether it's for somebody else, for yourself, it, 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 it doesn't really matter. We can be a stepping stone. We're okay with that, you know? And because, you know, because we, 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 we were, we were hiring 70 to 80 people a month. You know what I mean? And we had a headcount of 100, so you do the math on the turnover there, you know? Right. Yeah. And so we just made it okay, you know? And I, and I did. I had several people that left, started their own in the same industry, and then came back, and I partnered with them later, you know what I'm saying? And I still have relationships with them today, you know? And uh, when you live that way, which I get it, it's passive. You know, some people like NDAs and suing people and all that stuff. And I'm like, that is just such a waste of time, you know, and, and a waste of energy that I need to be putting into my people, not trying to get something out of somebody that learned something at my company and is using it at another one now. Awesome. Now that about wraps it up for my time with you guys today. I thank you so much for spending this morning or afternoon or evening with me listening to um, my voice as opposed to Doug's and uh, another guest, but he will be back on the next episode of Building Great Sales Teams podcast. Until then, let's get building. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Building Great Sales Teams. We appreciate it. Make sure you like, share, and leave a review wherever you consume podcasts and subscribe so you're notified when we release new content. Great sales teams aren't recruited. They are built brick by brick. Let's get building.